This is The Connection, a Dirty Free Hub podcast connecting gravel cyclists to where they ride through short stories about culture, history, people, places, and lands. This podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Bend Cultural Tourism Fund. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Kutosh, and today we're joined by the founders of Dirty Free Hub, Linda and Kevin English. And today we're going to hear the story of Dirty Free Hub. Kevin, Linda, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Thank you, Chris. Before we talk specifically about Dirty Free Hub, tell us how you got into gravel cycling. So what happened about eight years ago is I got into a severe mountain biking accident and basically hurt my shoulder so bad that I couldn't ride a mountain bike for two years. And initially what I was doing when I was rehabbing is I was doing car support for Linda and a friend of hers out near Post in Polina, Oregon. We were smart. We grabbed him. We figured he could be useful. (laughs) And as I was doing support in the car that day, I kept seeing these gravel roads heading up into the mountains. And I started driving these gravel roads while I was doing support that day. And I got up there and I'm like, wow, these views are really cool. The forest looks beautiful. This is almost or is better than what they're riding on the road. So after that, I came back home, started researching this thing called gravel, looking for companies that built gravel bikes. And then just kind of on a whim, I purchased two of the very first salsa gravel bikes. I didn't think I was even going to ride them. (laughs) So Linda was riding road. You had this great epiphany of riding gravel. What year was this? This was about eight years ago. And was it hard to convince Linda to make, I wouldn't say a transition yet, but to start doing this? Yes, it was really hard. Um, I was really afraid of it at first. And then I just looked at the bike and I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to ever ride that bike. But eventually, slowly by slowly, I I got better and I got really confident and uh, I started really enjoying it and realizing that gravel roads were just a blast to ride down without traffic. And I could ride next to my friends and chat the whole time. So I really, I, I just love it. And that seemed, yeah, like Kevin said, very early on where there wasn't a whole lot of resources, bikes or anything. When that, is that, does that describe the landscape at the time? It really does, Chris, because the first gravel bikes we purchased, the largest tire you could fit on there was a 38 millimeter tire. And now if you think of where the bikes are at today, the standard for a tire width is 40 to 45 millimeters. And there was nothing called a gravel group set. The gearing wasn't low enough. Uh, The frames, they'd kind of gotten closer to a little bit more relaxed frame and geometry to sit a little, little bit more upright. They got that part right, but the gearing and the tire width still left a lot to be desired. Wow. Okay. So lots have changed since then. So then take us to starting Dirty Free Hub. How did that begin? It began by initially, well, you have to map out a route on when you want it. Well, you don't have to, but I like to map out a route when I do gravel. So I have an idea where I'm going. And we started doing a couple of these rides. What I realized is I started forgetting about rides that I had done that I'd liked. Okay, I need to have a mechanism remembering these rides. And so I started making this little website, adding a few pictures, a few notes. And then friends started asking about where am I riding? How are you seeing this? And I'd like, oh, I've got this little website. Why don't you take a look at 
what I put out there. And then people started kind of using it and it grew organically. And we really were not very serious about it for a whole five, six years. Tell me what Dirty Free Hub is in your own words. Dirty Free Hub is an online um, guide for riding gravel. Uh, we have 8,000 miles of uh, curated uh, gravel bike routes that you can go out and use on your own. And they include everything from photos of the ride, videos. They have downloadable maps and a lot of information, key information, like are there water stops out there? When's the good time to, to uh, ride this? What size tires would you like to have, et cetera, et cetera. They also have comment sections, which allows you to get feedback from other cyclists. Like if somebody's been out there and there's down trees or there's snow, that's pretty key information to know. And am I forgetting anything, Kevin? Well, we start adding in now some information and education about if you're riding on logging roads, how do you respectfully allow a logging truck to pass? Or if you're riding during the fall season, what can you do as a cyclist to be safe out there while there's hunters out there? And then we have a piece now about wildlife impact because we know we do impact wildlife when we ride in the national forest and how we can minimize our impact. I heard about a year ago your mission has changed. Originally, it was to create great gravel routes. What is it now and how has it changed and why has it changed? Well, it was really amazing. About a year ago, we had Brad Chelfont, who was the founder and um, head of the Deschutes Land Trust, approached us and said, hey, we have this area called Skyline Forest, which is close to Bend, Oregon, where we live. And we're really trying to protect this area. Um, it's currently privately owned and, and, and it's a big area for, for us to ride. We love this area. So he wanted us to do a webinar and to reach out, help him to reach out to cyclists and get them more involved. So we had this webinar and it was crazy. There was more than a hundred people showed up and these were really passionate cyclists and they were you know, willing to help. They wanted to step up. They wanted to volunteer. They want to donate. They want to become advocates for this area. So it really changed the way that we were thinking about what we were doing. Suddenly we thought, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, we have these great routes, but we also have a connection to the cycling community that can be used for a lot of other things. And in this case, it's about preserving an area. So we, we've been really changed or, or the way that we thought about routes and that we really want to help these cyclists be more connected to where they ride and get them involved in, in, in the areas where they ride. What we really tried to do was now create a connection through stories about culture, history, people, places, and lands. And do you find that the cyclists, that really resonates with them? Yeah. i give you a great example. There's a route that we ride all the time. It's in the Metolius Preserve, and it's just this beautiful area. And through the Deschutes Land Trust, you know, Brad started pointing out, look, there's salmon in this creek. And it took us a long time to pre preserve this area. There, were, there weren't salmon for a while, and they've worked across with a lot of different organizations to reintroduce these salmon. And you know, it's so amazing because now every time I go by there, I always think about the salmon and I'm just so excited that, oh my gosh, look, there's salmon right there. And you would never guess it. It's a tiny little stream that you think, how the heck did the salmon even get there? But it sounds like you're able to understand more about where you're riding, what's going on in the area, and just get a better sense of how am I a part of this bigger landscape that I'm enjoying. It's really amazing that 
as you're right out there riding, instead of just thinking about how many more miles I have to go or what's, what's what's how much more elevation do I have to climb, do you start thinking about that area? Um, you can start thinking about the history of it. We've got some amazing history on some of our route, the environmental impact of an area, the uh, or the art. Sometimes you you know we have a tunnel that we go through on one of our routes that's got some really amazing art, and you know what's the story behind that art? So I think those are all that really does help connect cyclists to where they're riding. And if we can connect those cyclists, hopefully they'll become like with Skyline Forest and the story of Skyline Forest being a private uh, forest reserve. That if the cyclists become connected then they become advocates or volunteers or donors to organizations that are trying to protect and create a recreation area that is preserved near Bend, Oregon. So the hope is really, okay, we can start telling the story of Skyline Forest, but then that cyclist goes, okay, what can I do to be involved now such that these recreation lands that we're using stay as recreation lands and we preserve them for our children as we go forward? Tell me about finding routes. How do you find routes? How do you create routes? What is, tell me about that process. Chris, I get asked that question a lot. And unfortunately, I don't have a great answer. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, I can say. And how I find routes is I use some of the electronic maps. I'm looking for anchor points. I'm looking for, does it have a lake? Does it have a river? Does it have a squiggly road that's going up on top of a ridge? And how can I connect these anchor points? And as I'm trying to connect anchor points, I'm looking at online resources. So let's say I find something that says Muddy Lake, then I'll go Google Muddy Lake. And all of a sudden when I'm Googling Muddy Lake, it'll show a single track around the east side of the lake. And it's like, oh, that would be cool to connect that single track to the east side of the lake oh, I wonder how hard that single track is. So then you're looking for the mountain bike group that takes care of that single track and you find their map and it says, oh, that's a that's an easy, it's a beginner single track. And it's like, okay, that'll work. And then all of a sudden you're looking at this lake and all of a sudden it says, you got to preserve there. And it's like, oh, okay, I'll Google the preserve. And you take a look at that. And it's like, yeah, that looks really cool. And I can put a little kicker out to a bird stop where people can see birds. And it also comes about by when you're riding, all of a sudden you see another cool gravel road and you kind of make a mental note of that. It's like, hey, where does that road go? Or when you're riding, what I'll do a lot of times if I see ranchers or farmers or loggers or hunters, I'll stop and talk to them. And I'll say, <laughs> where does this road go? What am I going to see? Or, you know, what do you, what's going on up here? And they'll a lot of times give me some really cool ideas of like, Hey, there's this road down here. It looks a little offbeat and off the track, but if you take it, you're going to end up in a great viewpoint. And then use some of the traditional stuff of like looking at Strava heat maps or ride with GPS heat maps. And then following a lot of the social groups, whether it be on Reddit or Facebook, and just kind of being there and listening to what people are talking about. So it's not, it's much more of an art than a scientific process. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. But in the beginning, it can be really difficult and hard. Well, it sounds quite involved just from what you described, much more intense than what I thought it would be. It, it is. I, I'm working a route right now up in Washington State. And it's not a long route. It's maybe 20 miles. And my time with in front of the computer looking at the maps and researching it and Googling stuff, I'm probably about two and a half hours into it right now. And I had originally just two routes kind of in that area. And all of a sudden I took a look at it again this morning. It's like, 
I think I only want one route, but I'm going to connect this ridge to a loop around the lake. And so it evolves and it kind of processes in, in back of my brain there for a while. And all of a sudden it, it'll pop out over time, but it's usually a couple hours into just kind of mapping that route. And then, you know, you get to ride it and then you change things and then you go through revision one to revision two to revision three and so on. And what is really cool about your routes? We end up biking all over the place. I mean, to me, gravel is really playful. Is probably is the best way to describe it. Um, we can be on single track. We can be on paved. We can be on forest roads. We can be on farm roads. But it's really just about going out and going to these amazing places. And it's they're really fun. I really, I just, and just love it out there. I think, Chris, gravel roads can take you where other mechanisms of bike riding cannot. Mountain biking, I love mountain biking, but you need to go where mountain biking trails are. And paved roads are becoming more and more trafficked, and so they're becoming a little bit uh, less desirable. You can get out into the backcountry, not see a lot of people, get some great views just with the infrastructure that's there today. So it'll take you places that you really can't get to by any other mechanism. And using existing resources, which is, I think, really helpful where you're not having to build something separate just to do this type of activity. Yeah, I think it's really cool that we can go to a town like Ajo, Arizona, which is a, a small mining town um, down on the border near Tucson, you know, show up in the town and say, you know, do some rides, find some really amazing rides. And, you know, we can give that town a really a big gift of, of helping draw tourists um, to that area without asking them to go out and build trails or really do much of anything besides just say, hey, can you help us out with the history or the, the story behind the route? And they're really excited to do that. Yeah, they don't have to build nor maintain trails because you can build the trail, but then you, on the backside, you still have to have the you have to have the ability to maintain trails. And so like in Ajo, when the monsoons come through and the, he the heavy rains, you need to go back out there, regroom those trails, rebuild parts that wash out. That's not something you normally have with gravel roads. Yes, they'll wash out, but typically the county will come back through if it's a county road and make it passable again. It, it's, a, it's a shared resource out there that we're using. Speaking of resources, how are you funded and what do you use the funding for? Well, luckily, we have a lot of generous uh, uh, cyclists who uh, donate to our cause. We also have organizations like bike shops and tourist organizations that are interested in us. And so we've been able to patch together funding. The small donations to us are very, very important because as a nonprofit, we have to show that a certain percentage of our donations come from small donations to offset the big donations. So if we get a couple, let's say we get three large donors, but we have no small donors, we can lose our nonprofit status. So those small donations help us maintain our nonprofit status. And they're hugely important, whether it's $5 or $20 or $50. Those are critically important because we do have some larger donors that have really stepped up to help with the internship program, which is fantastic. But we just can't take in large checks alone because of the, the way the IRS regulations are set up. So our, and our, what we're using our funding for, in fact, we're both volunteers, um, as is the majority of the people who work on Dirty Free Hub. But we started an internship program that we really decided we needed to pay interns. It wasn't fair to ask them to just work for free. 
and they can provide great value to us and we can provide great value to them. So a big chunk of what our funding goes for is paying for interns to actually work on the website. And that's both technology and some of the marketing that we need to do for the website. The other big expenses for us are technology expenses. And Kevin, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, but it's, you know, it's, we have a lot of pictures that we, that, and videos and um, things that we need to host, got all sorts of tools that we're using in order to bring together a great website. And then we have, of course, all of the podcasting equipment that, that we use as well. I, I want to talk about the interns a little bit more. So we do work with them on the technology side, so they get more skills on technology. But I think important part is they also get a lot of soft skills in terms of they're working with us in terms of how do I communicate when I'm working on a project or working on a project remotely? How often do I need to check in? When I have questions, how do I ask those questions? What needs to be an in-person meeting? What can be a virtual meeting? And how do I write stuff and how do I communicate appropriately? So it's a combination for the interns to get those soft skills that are very important in a work environment. And they're also refining their technology skills at the same time. Nice. Uh, uh, that's fantastic to hear. I think I did originally thought Dirty Free Hope was just Kevin and Linda. And I think it, that's how it started. Now it sounds like there's a few more people on, on the team. Yeah, there is. Linda's the executive director. I'm in charge of routes and technologies. On the backside, we have Spider, who is one of our super, super duper technology programmers, and he does the really high-end programming stuff for us. He works for free. We couldn't afford him, I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, he works for free and we could not afford him. We have three people working on route guides and route development as we put it together. We now have a podcasting network, and then we have Josh down in Arizona, who does a lot of route development for us there. So I think all said and told, we're probably up to about 10 to 12 people that work on this project now. Yeah, we also have a board of directors because we're a nonprofit. Yeah, we have a board of directors as a nonprofit. We also have a board of advisors too Yeah, um, yeah. that help us in terms of fundraising, uh, communications and social media, and then just thinking through some of the big picture things. Great to see how much the team has grown. Tell me something that you're most proud of recently. Quite honestly, I'm really proud of the internship program, but I'm also proud of what is going on with Skyline Forest, which, as we said, is a private forest near Bend, Oregon, of the impact we've had in getting people to understand that it's a private forest, there are threats to development of it, and getting people involved. Last year, when we held the Skyline Forest webinar, we had over 100 people, and we're expecting well over 100 people to attend an online forum to learn about the updates on the Skyline Forest. And I think we're moving in the right direction because this is a pretty big lift because Skyline Forest at times has gone up for sale for $140 million and it's very close to the city. And so if it is going to be preserved in some aspect as recreational lands, we definitely need cyclists and people that use that area to understand it is a private forest, but we still probably could keep it in some aspect for recreational use. So I'm very happy with that. If people are interested, how can they get involved? 
there's a lot of different ways to get involved. Obviously, um, donating to us is always a great, great thing. Oh, that's awesome. We have an ambassador program where people can help us in creating routes. We have a program where you can submit a route. We have a program where you can go out and ride some of our routes that are in development. You need to be a little bit more adventuresome, obviously, if you're going to go out and ride a route that we haven't fully vetted. But a really simple thing that you can do as a cyclist is if you ride a route is to go back into our comments sections and actually provide us feedback on the route. We have decommissioned a couple of routes based off of uh, cyclist feedback. Um, we've made some pretty major changes to these routes, and we want you to be involved. The other way is to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, sort of the three ways of either posting comments, Facebook or Instagram um, are all great ways to, to stay involved with us. If people have creative ideas for what we uh, could do, we're, we're open to ideas because a lot of the things we do today are not our original ideas. They have come from the audience of riders out there that said, hey, what about this? Or, hey, what about that? So we really do appreciate the feedback. So if you've got some ideas out there, even if they sound far-fetched, love to hear them. I, I think I can say this from a lot of people that enjoy your routes and have you know met you and spent time with you. Thank you so much for everything you do and creating Dirty Free Hub and what you the amount that you give back, we all appreciate it and love you for that. So thank you. <laughs> we have a really good time. It's it's really a blast. We're having we're having a lot of fun, and we're really appreciative that we can give back. Dirty Free Hub is a nonprofit organization fueled by your generous contributions. Find us at dirtyfreehub.org.